0: for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Scott Colefield is one of the magnificent minds behind the National Strength and Conditioning Association. As head SNC coach at the NSCA flagship facility, he oversees the training of all athletes. Holding such a title puts Colefield in the fortunate position to rub elbows with some of the top influencers in the field. One of the most valuable takeaways, I think from a humble little podcast like our own, is learning about the evolution of a seasoned coach like Scott As a bystander to all of his professional and life lessons, you receive the wisdom without the steep learning curve. And this week, Scott is kind enough to share his experiences as athlete, student, coach, and eventually head coach. This is episode 234.
1: Power
2: Athlete Nation, what is up? This is Luke. Reporting not live from Power Athlete HQ, uh, the gym here on Power Athlete Ranch. I'm with John. Say hi, John. What's happening? Hi, John. And we call him Tex, the concussed McQuilkin, who just slammed his head on the podcast I was going to call him the China doll. Oh, China doll. I was going to go with the China doll. He's got but the. I, I didn't he, break. Uh, I don't know. Haven't we, we heard about yeah. Texas bone density here? Uh, yeah. Top ninety
3: percentile. Is that what it is? Ninety-six. Don't don't you cheat me? <laughs> now was that uh, symmetrical
1: or asymmetrical? Um. What
3: well, below I'm, the waist?
1: I mean, did, you know, I mean, was the bone density greater on you know, like uh, lower extremities, upper extremities, oh, right I'm, and left? I'm
3: bottom heavy. That's why I sink when I swim. Look at. I got a huge ass.
2: Great golfer. A huge ass! Isn't that a Pacino? Uh,
3: no,
1: that well, was, was uh, Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Oh. Remember when he's like, uh, <laughs> "You need for golf? Uh, goofy pants and a fat ass. So you should talk to with with my neighbor. neighbor. <laughs> yeah, he's he's <laughs> got a huge ass.
2: All right, people. Let's get into it. Don't hit that fast forward button. I know you're looking at that plus 30 circle button with the 30. And don't wait. We'll still don't do be it. here after you hit it. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to do that 10 to 12 times. And maybe you're going to go too far. You're going to miss the intro. And you're going to miss the whole point of the show. But people guess what we have on december 8th 9th and 10th the premier strength and conditioning symposium event, symposium in, in austin, austin in december in december the power athlete symposium right so ladies and gentlemen if you haven't heard this is a three-day speaker event we got 12 speakers um by the time you're hearing this we have a friday night vip cocktail hour where you can rub elbows with the who's who of the Power Athlete Symposium. I'm talking, you can go straight up to John Wellborn, punch him in the chest, and uh, he'll like that, trust me, and he will not retaliate and say, hey, what's up, big guy, bubba, pal chief <laughs> no no good hoss hoss no we're gonna have rob wolf there woodski bert soren ingrid markham Rafa ruiz all these guys are gonna be up there and guys this is kind of vip uh, rudy party rudy reyes rudy reyes yeah. and we're only Who's i think probably who,
1: who might not be wearing pants That's
2: possible. Definitely not a shirt,
1: okay? Well, he doesn't own a shirt.
2: But here's how this is going to shake out on Friday: is this is is going to be incremental ticket. There's a fundraising cocktail hour. You come up, you can have some food, have some cocktails, uh, talk with a lot of the speakers, and this precedes the Wade's Army Silent Auction, which John, this is the first time you're hearing this, but among our sponsors, Sorenex, PowerDot. uh, we've got Thorn supplements. We've got Black Rifle coffee. Uh, these guys are all donating some really killer prizes for the silent auction. But John, Tex, and I, and Dave were brainstorming today, and we want to put a silent auction item out there that's called whatever's in John's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing. Nothing is in my no, pocket. No, because it could be crumpled up. Five hundred dollars crumpled up twenty dollars, maybe like a, a bill, a bill, maybe an iOU who knows, but I think <laughs> we put it out there and you just kind of stage a hilarious pocket full of s- swag.
1: it would probably be <laughs> home Depot receipts <laughs>
2: from
3: things that I have to buy to finish stuff like, and but the catch is ah. you get you personally get to reach into John's pocket <laughs> and pull it out yourself. <laughs>
1: Is this front pocket or back pocket? Mm, Both. You Maybe maybe the crotch pocket. All pockets? (laughs) You're like, "Uh, uh... I have a a bill for rent-equip for a scissor lift for four (laughs) weeks, uh, and I got a bill for cedar.
2: Uh, But then, obviously, because I think the mystery box was a big hit last year. We're going to add one more mystery box. They're going to be epic prizes. Uh, But no, this is all going down Friday. That's not a VIP thing. Everybody at the symposium is going to be involved. Uh, But anyways, beyond. John just pulled a knife out of his pocket. Yeah,
1: so you could have had that knife. You could have had a really (laughs) one-off Starling Gear uh, strider knife. That's what you could have got.
2: Yeah. Or who knows? Maybe Glock 19. Like, who knows what's <laughs> going to come out of that pocket? But people, uh, the tickets, everything about this, uh, there's going to be detailed schedule and uh, tickets for not only the event, but the VIP cocktail hour are going to be at powerathletehq.com slash symposium. Now, you heard me use the term fundraiser. That's right, people. This is where we talk about the party barge that we are not going to be buying with <laughs> with ticket sales, right? So th- <sighs> we are doing this thing not only just to get some friends together and honestly put on a great experience for but people for Wade's army exactly John. which
1: is our 501c3 uh charity that deals with fighting neuroblastoma and even though we have been lobbying for a party barge wrapped with Wade's <laughs> army logos we're not going to do it because why because the money goes into helping the families uh, that are dealing with neuroblastoma and also funding research
3: and our, our research study is selected so Heather has, has picked it and uh, literally scours all these research studies and applications for a year and so she selected the one and she chooses the one that gives the kids the most opportunity to live. So this opens up anywhere from 60 to 90 kids and then she's not just throwing money or putting it into a pool, she's selected the research, the pediatric cancer clinical trial that we're gonna fund that gives the most opportunity uh, based off her experience research uh, from, from Wade's treatment all the way to all the families that we've helped so far. So uh, it is
2: selected and we just got to make the funds to make it happen. So thank you to everybody who participated on Wade's Day as well. That is a sassy, sassy workout. And uh, thanks to all of you guys who are already in on the symposium. I and mean, if you're not in on the symposium, check it out. PowerathleteatHQ.com slash symposium. And... You can still donate to Wade's Army. You can still grab yourself uh, this year's uniform, the Fighting Neuroblastoma uniform. Head to wadesarmy.org for more info on that. And then final public service announcement. Don't you dare hit that fast forward 30 seconds because you don't know how long this is going to be, people. Is We only have like a week or so left of registration on the third semester. Nine days. Nine days left. Nine days. On the Power Athlete Methodology Level One course. This is our third semester. Uh, the first 200 people have had their minds blown, people. So if uh, you know you're one of those folks who I don't know, sat on your hand for two years and never went to a Power Athlete or one of our uh, SSA courses or any of our other courses that we put on, this is your opportunity to learn about the Power Athlete Methodology at your own pace online. 44 sections, nine lessons, four plus hours of video lecture, five plus hours. That's what I said. What did what did it? What did you hear? So check that out, guys. If you want to learn about that, it's academy.powerathletehq.com. And here's the thing. Let's say you're one of those NSCA geeks, not like a jock like me who actually trains to play men's league softball, but let's say you're one of those NSCA guys who needs to get some CEUs. We got those techs, right? What do we have, a million of them? Well, 1.5, and 2017 is a recertification year. So So if you're looking to get it in before you got to get it in got to do it. So academy.powerathletehq.com. And speaking of the NSCA techs, that brings us into our guest today. So ladies and gentlemen, we have Scott Caulfield from the NSCA. He's one of the head strength coaches, uh, strength conditioning coaches. Is that what it is, Scott? Yeah, the, the head strength coach, yeah, <laughs> kind of like my Instagram handle, the Luke Summers. No, uh, no, Scott is the head strength and conditioning coach at the NSCA, and uh, and you put on and organize and, and wrangle all the speakers for the NSCA conferences as well. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, I mean, I have my hand in a lot of different things. The the conference is one of the big ones, the coaches conference uh, that we do. I mean, as you guys know from putting on the symposium you're about to, how big of a process it is. Um, we have a lot of helpers that help us put that on. So I work with the conference committee, um, but have a lot of the, you know, once that thing kicks off in Charlotte, uh, the organizational stuff of keeping people on track where, who's supposed to be where and when that's, that's a lot of the day-to-day stuff that I'll do at those events.
3: Now,
2: and Scott, I said, well,
3: rumor has it this year, Scott, that you're going to have a suit with no sleeves. So just to show off those
2: guns. <laughs> Is that a fact? We're hoping for that. We're hoping. So very <laughs> wild thing of you, a la Major League, right? Yeah.
4: But Scott, I, I, I mean, tell you what, if I, uh, look, if I look like Rudy Reyes, I'd never wear a shirt either. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's That's truth good. to that. Dude, I, I mean, a, a head strength and conditioning coach, that is, it seems like a prestigious title. I, I know you got some history under you uh, within this this industry. Tell us a little about you know where this thing started. How did this journey start? How did you end up where you're at? And then we'll kind of... G- pull back the curtain and see what the heck goes on over at headquarters.
4: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, I think, you know, some of us have had a lot of different paths. Um, I actually didn't get involved in this till a little bit later in life. I ended up, uh, I went to college, you know, like a lot of people do right out of high school and didn't have a great run at it. And so, uh, you know, failed out of college and joined the Navy, uh, went in the Navy for four years and, um, I was on an amphibious assault ship, directed aircraft, uh, kind of like you see in Top Gun, the movie there. Um, but I got out of there kind of like knowing that I wanted to go back to school. And physical education seemed like a good major or a good opportunity in, in what I thought was I was going to do. And then I kind of started getting into fitness then. I mean, I, I had always trained Um playing basketball growing up, I lifted weights in college, and then when I got out, that kind of was the avenue. So I kind of started actually in the commercial field in like, you know, a typical health club setting. Um, when I got out of college, I was just doing that kind of part-time, personal training, and I kind of heard about the NSCA and the CSCS through some people just professionally. And they were like, hey, listen, if you want to train athletes, you should look into the CSCS thing. And that, that was literally how it started. And then I kind of went from there and it kind of snowballed. So, I mean, I looked into that. I learned more about the CSCS. I realized I had the education. I had training experience under my belt. You know, I had lifted as, a, as an athlete. Um, and then from that point, it, it snowballed. So, like, the first team that I actually ever worked with was... Uh, I'm from Vermont. So it was at Norwich university, which is the oldest military school in in the country with their rugby program. And actually the way it came up was the, um, the head rugby coach was sitting in on a session that I was doing like for like his kids, like fourth grade daughter's class. I was just doing some random fitness stuff. He came up to me afterward and he was like, Hey, do you think you could do this for a team of 40 rugby athletes? And I was like, Sure. You know, absolutely. I was then, meanwhile, thinking in the back of my head, I have no idea what rugby even looks like. Like I've never seen it. Um, so I realized I had to go back, but that was my kind of first gig. Um, and then after that, I realized that that was what I wanted to do was work with athletes. So it snowballed from there. I developed more, um, like of a strength and conditioning kind of Um, Template and camp that I ran at the gym I worked at. But uh, growing, I'm from Central Vermont, very small town. There's not a lot of. There's, we're kind of behind the times in New England a little bit. Um, you get information less, I think. It takes a while to catch up. I realized I had to do something different or get out of there, you know, to take it to the next level. So I had the opportunity to go down to a place called Lebanon, New Hampshire, which is about an hour south. And I actually worked at Dartmouth College, which is Hanover, New Hampshire, as, as a strength coach for rugby first. And then that snowballed into working with football and men's and women's swimming. Um, and then that was kind of when I first got around that time, you know, was when I first got involved with the NSCA at like a state level, uh, their state clinics. And so I got asked to be a speaker at a state clinic. And I met some people and started going to like the annual national conference. And from that, I, you know, I just met like really enthusiastic volunteers who I'm sure you guys have crossed paths with. And that, that's what I think is great about the NSCA is there's all these people that are on committees or who volunteer that are super passionate about it. And they basically, you know, said, Hey, come out with us after talk shop, like let's learn about you. And uh, Aside from that, if, um, addition to Dartmouth uh, we had a semi pro ABA team one of the red white, and blue basketball in Vermont. So I was their first strength coach. We actually won the ABA championship um, in 2006 and 2007 little Vermont history for you as well as ABA history. Um, and then I had the opportunity, you know, to, to leave there and come to the NSCA. Um, I had been out to visit. I'd been to a couple clinics that they put on and I was like, wow, Colorado is a really neat place. Headquarters is a super cool facility. I was in a position in my life that I could just pull the chocks and make the move. Um, and you know, a position came up and I got lucky. Um, I started here in January 2011. Um, I was wearing a button-down shirt every day, sitting in a cube, thinking to myself, what in God's name did I do? Uh, why why would I do this? I was coaching a couple hours a week, probably, in the helping out in the facility. But six months after that, um, the head guy left, and I got promoted to the interim strength coach, and I never left. So, yeah. That's
2: uh, nice, man. So battle tested <laughs> without a doubt. Right. Yeah. Interesting
3: concept where you're working with individuals and then it's a different approach where I want to train athletes. So yeah. talk about that. Did, did you look at everyone as an athlete or was there was a distinct difference in your mind and then you needed to get CSCS or more informed to prepare you for that opportunity?
4: Yeah. I mean, I knew I I treated everybody like an athlete, but I knew that I needed to know more about, like, even program design. And and I mean, I feel like, so this is 2003, when I really first got interested and in it, there was so much less information, you know, as you guys know about programming and stuff like that. I mean, I was, I was writing programs for my first athletes with, you know, power cleans as probably the third exercise and, you know, just... It, I just didn't understand the sequencing and the proper methodologies of, about the principle. So I definitely trained people and probably learned by trial by fire and, you know, luckily not really injuring anybody, but, um, you know, kind of continuing to put that into process and then learning the right things about how to make it better.
3: So talk to us about the, the past decade. Like, so you, you've been from East Coast all the way to Colorado, and I'm sure all over the world, opportunity to connect and teach athletes. So what has changed over that 10 years? So what have you picked up? What have you thrown out? What have you kind of scoffed at? Like I can't believe I was doing that 10 years ago.
4: Right. Yeah. I mean, so being here at the last seven years, I mean, the coolest thing about my job is getting to know all the uh getting to know, you know, getting to know all the coaches that I get to meet on a regular basis. Like just that level of Uh, hearing all these presentations, but I mean, like John has said all the time, and you guys talk about uh, emptying my cup is that I've always, I've always known that I didn't know enough. Or like when I get to a point where I, where I should know enough, I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know anything, you know? And I think that's really helped me the most. Um, But I keep it super simple. Like I don't think anything I do is like this earth shattering, like, Exercise and program design. I think if you look at the programs I write, it's pretty basic. Like I, I'm not, uh, I'm not developing you know the next uh, great program that I'm going to put on the market. It's I keep it simple and I adapt it for different sports and different athletes. Um, I think if anything, like becoming a better communicator and a better relationship builder with people is what honestly has made me a better coach over the last decade.
2: Yeah, and that's what we talked about with uh, our buddy from UT. We just trained with him the other day. Uh, You know, I guess UT attracts a lot of strength and conditioning interns, right? And in probably not intentionally, but misguided guys get in there like, man, I like banging weights. I like being jacked. I'm going to be a strength coach. But there's this, um, the obvious ability to make a connection and communicate and sympathize and empathize. And, uh, in addition to, uh, understanding the movements, understanding the sequencing and programming design and all that stuff. But you know, that's kind of the superficial deep meaning behind the coaching and, uh, folks just kind of get misguided, right? So do you find yourself, is there an internship pool that you oversee or you engage with? Do you see that on your end as well?
4: Yeah, I mean, we have an internship program that's pretty popular here. Uh, we have nine interns a year, so three every semester, just like a college semester. and It's a paid internship, so obviously that makes it uh, you know, a lot more attractive. And because at the headquarters, it's definitely, uh, we get 70 to 100 people that apply every time. But I mean, I think you just said actually something that was pretty interesting, too, is like, I think for a long time, I did, too, I thought that I had to be the most jacked and strong guy. Uh, and then, I don't know, maybe it's just getting older and you don't really give a shit as much. Uh, you know? I mean, I still want to train and I still want to put these 20-something-year-olds in their place when, you know, when I have to in the weight room. But like a lot of the people that I respect and look up to are not the most jacked or strong guys in the gym.
2: But I also think that's like a depends where you're at on the totem pole, right? I mean, Texas, you can attest to your time in some of the on N- the top NCAA. Oh, sorry. Uh, and when you weren't on the top, like if you if you don't look the part or you don't have the credentials, unfortunately, some of the guys and some of the athletes you work with. But
3: that that that's where connecting with the athlete becomes that much more important because I'm not six six. I don't have a freaking four three speed or any of that. So the ability to connect with the athlete to get them invested in buying in is that much more of a necessary skill. It's very yes. important yeah, that you keep their goals in mind, you understand the programming as well, but then you need them to execute that program. So that's where that connection, is. and it's not taught, Scott. I don't know. I don't know your experience, you've taken a class or it's just something you picked up along the way.
4: Yeah, I mean, I wish we could do more about that's kind of one of my passions is more of that kind of eq side the emotional quotient the uh, i don't know what you want to call it the non-physical science right sociological and psychological um but we don't have there's no chapter on that in the essentials text like you know and, and there probably should be maybe we'll get there someday so i mean that's definitely probably i've been talking on a at clinics on a coaching philosophy, um, topic for the last year or so that I've been refining and I wrote an article It should be coming out next year about it. Um, so that's been my passion, but I, yeah, I wish I learned it from other coaches that I had, um, playing basketball, you know, some strength coaches that I looked up to as mentors who just, um, you know, they, connected with people better and I realized that it was about that because it didn't matter to the to the Dartmouth uh, women's swimming team how jacked I was they were not impressed by that
3: (laughs) (laughs) one uh, one of John's uh, John's old coaches I had a fortunate opportunity to mentor with and one thing that I recall and you say emotional quotient that's exactly what he called it but he said what separates a good from the great coach is going to be a coach's ability to connect and teach an athlete how to control their emotional response so I don't know if you're having some some as vivid flashbacks as I am, John, but no, emotional uh, response was a big part of Raph's deal.
1: You know, um... Uh you know, me not being a highly emotional person. Uh, I think that was something we never really worked much with.
2: Um, Wait, you're not emo? So what's with like the, all the black and the mascara uh, and like, you well, know, it's, listening
1: it's, to the cure? It's actually not even emo. It's just I just lack uh, a lot of kind of emotional connection in that way. So like for me, um, uh, you know, I never needed a strength coach to like to like me or, you know, to, to, to really do any of that stuff. All I needed to know is have faith that what we were doing was the best we could do. So like I think, uh, I've, and I've, I've never been able to understand athletes where like the coach didn't like me, and because he didn't like me, I didn't want to perform. And I was like, uh, I don't really care if people like me or not. I just want to know that the information and what we're doing is the best. If somebody else is doing it better, then I want to be over there. I don't want to, I, I don't want to work with subpar people. And um, I can think like, uh, I didn't really like Todd Rice. Uh, as a person um, I thought he was a fucking abrasive asshole but I think that the information we were using and the training program we were doing and the way we were attacking it was the best situation for me at that given time um, I think with Rafael uh, what Roth does is better than just about anybody else out there and f- even though we connected and were friends and buddies like like that wasn't the reason I busted my ass I just knew that the training I was doing would allow me to be the best at my job so I think sometimes people get so emotionally wrapped up in like this like connection with a coach, and like uh, for a lot of people, they need that. And actually, the women on the women's side need that more. Like I know that uh, uh, girls are much more loyal in terms of like if they develop a relationship with a coach, like they will go to the ends for that coach. I know like uh, my wife played soccer, and I know her. You know, her still telling me like you know how like this you know so and so my um, you know when she played on the Olympic development team in high school, she was like you know this coach was great, and I really wanted to like go out and perform for him. And I was like fuck that i I would go out and perform in spite of these motherfuckers and so um it's just uh you know and then now having daughters it's really interesting like trying to figure out like how you necessarily coach because i mean you know you think about guys for a lot of guys i tend to work better on negative reinforcement than positive reinforcement like uh, i don't need you to tell me what i'm doing right i just need to know what i'm doing wrong and then how to correct it so i think but whereas girls don't function on that and um, but I, I think uh, being, a, you know, a strength coach and, and doing a lot of these things, I mean, you can have a guy who knows all the, you know, the X's and O's and the right program and how to do it and all that, but can't make that kind of a connection. And when you were saying, a course, I mean, you should probably send these guys into some sales deal and like say, hey, like if you want to really be a good strength coach, you have to have a little bit of salesman in you to not only say, you know, because day one you show up, hey, I know all this information, but can I sell the athlete that this is the best I can do? Can I instill confidence and sell? And I think uh, for, you know, for anybody wanting to be a strength coach, uh, they need a a little bit of salesmanship. Wolf on Wall Street, sell me this pen. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. supply and demand. Yeah. yeah, supply and demand. Like, like, can you sell that pen? And um, you know, and like, I think for me, uh, you know, doing this. I mean, um, and like, I've talked to you guys uh, extensively about you know my rhetoric background and like the ethos, pathos, and logos. And I think you guys have all done really well in terms of developing it. But for me, I mean, just having the history for what I've done with my ethos was just so much information and having, you know, been through these different trials and tribulations and injuries and come back that the story, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be crafted. But I think for a lot of young strength coaches to be able to go in and like actually craft a story and, you know, talk and make an emotional connection and try to create bridges and just some commonality. I know when you went down to Texas, that was the first thing I told you, like, talk to those guys, tell them who you are, like how you got here and like start, you know, sharing something and creating a common bond. So I think where, um, Where strength coaches, the ones that fail and the ones that do so well, are not only able to convince people that they know what they're doing, like a Cal Dietz, you know, I mean, Cal is a next level type dude, I mean, knows it on just such a different level. But also when you're talking with him, you have a general or like a a very um, real feeling that he wants you to be the best and not only for himself but for you i mean i I just get that very genuine feeling from him
2: yeah like a degree of selflessness yeah
1: and 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 like yeah i want to prove that all my information is right but the reason i want it to be right is because i want you to be the best and like i think like the minute that like coaches whether it be football coaches strength coaches whatever the minute that all of a sudden the player or the athlete feels that this person doesn't care about me this person's in it for themselves my success is not their success instantly it's fucking over And I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen on coaching staffs. I've seen it in the NFL. I've seen it in college. I've seen strength coaches that all of a sudden just lost control of the team because they all of a sudden felt that, like, uh, this person doesn't have a vested interest. So it's it's just really pretty fascinating. But
2: even though, like, at the pro level, John, there's a payday, do you think that it's... There's a little slippage on that, like. Well, like, does that make sense in the NFL versus like a high school kid who feels like his coach doesn't give a fuck? Well, like in the in the NFL, you have
1: two types of guys. You have guys that know it's a fucking job. Like, I get my paycheck. You pay me to do a certain deal. I have to show up. Like, this is what you expect for me to get my pay. And then there's guys that like. Know they're getting paid, but like don't really understand that this, this is a job. They think like, you know, oh, the coach doesn't like me and this. And I, I've heard guys say that forever, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure the coach doesn't like me either, <laughs> right? And he's like, but why do you play? I'm like, because I don't lose. <laughs> like, uh, like at the end of the day, like even if the coach dislikes you, he's still going to play you if you're the best player because yeah. he wants to keep his job. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree as well, right? Because there are. Oh, I, I mean, I've, I've heard things like like I like I've, I've I know. You know, definite occasions where coaches have been like personal vendettas against guys and, you know, to cut off their nose and spite their face, which shouldn't happen. But also like in terms of strength coaches, man, like if uh, if a strength coach comes in and he's doing a bunch of stuff and a bunch of guys get hurt real fast all of a sudden and then like the guy that gets hurt's kind of a um, you know a, like a real vocal person all of a sudden he's going to be in the locker room in the training room like you know kind of eroding from underneath so and so doesn't know what he's doing in this and so like as a strength coach especially in like a th- something like football you almost have to like go out and figure out like okay who are the guys who if I get this guy on my team will support me and you got to play a little bit of chess you got to have a little bit of salesman in you and you got to be um, personable enough that people want to you know want to be around you I mean Dude, Todd Rice was a, a, a tyrannical type dude. I mean, I remember his favorite term was, uh, you got to be fist fucking me. And I would never heard that one. And I remember all the time being like, wow, that sounds really painful. But he also, it, we were out there running at like uh, 5.50 one morning and it was raining and he pulled up and drove his car onto the field. And rolled his window down a crack and was screaming at us and yelling at us and coaching us from his car with the engine running because he wanted he was cold. That's classy. That to me is that's like. That's coaching one. Oh, no, dude. Like, that's like, you don't do that. Like, is that you the get out. Manual? Like, if, if your players are cold and they're out there running and it's dark and, like, it's rainy, don't sit in your car. But, like, yes. hey, it was just, that's why we call him the rice paddy because he was hiding in the rice paddies ready to shoot us all the time. Like, you know. But, uh, 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 uh Kevin Steets, who is our assistant, dude, uh, we're still buddies. He's in Houston. And, dude, he'll constantly hit me up. You know, he listens to the podcast. So he'll be like, oh, yeah, you know. But, I, I like, I've just had, um, for me, uh, my uh, i had a great relationship with strength coaches because I like to lift weights. Mm-hmm. And I was always pretty strong. And, like, they didn't, like, have to handhold me and, like, just, hey, you know what? Like, I, and I, I remember those guys giving me programs and me looking at it and being like, so, so what are you going to do in there? I'm like, oh, I'm going to change it up a little bit. And they're like, okay, let's change it. And they were always, like, not like, you have to do this. And, you know, like, nobody was ever like that. And I think with certain athletes, people are more flexible and other guys, you got to do this. And But I think a big part of it is just being a salesman, just being able to know – um, who you are, what you can do, don't overextend yourself, make connections. And I think that, if anything, is kind of what you learn as an intern. And maybe if there was a course about that, I mean, to me, that would be a, a real valuable deal for the guys.
4: Yeah, I think you you kind of alluded to it too, John, but you're, you know, you're saying, uh, you think about the people that last in the industry or the move up the ladder too, right? Like, you have to be able to connect with, the sport coaches, the administrators, the team, general manager, owner, whatever level you're at. I mean, you, you have to be able to have these uh, relationships with all these different people to, to be able to be effective. And I mean, uh, that's in any profession, you know, so just actually to be a pretty functional human being, that's kind of an essential um, task, but yeah, one of my old mentors used to say it's all about results and relationships too. So obviously, too, we have to get results. Like, we have to not hurt people and get and allow them to get better. But also, the relationship part goes along with it. Because, like you said, if they're just super book smart and can't connect with anybody, they're not going to last very long either.
1: Weird. Uh, like, how, I always think like, how do you temper this? Like, um, like, like you have like, hey, like, this is what I know I, I want to do for the training. But like you almost have to, you know, push the bounds to, to, to continue to drive adaptation. So then like how do you kind of play that and say, hey, all right, hey, you know what, I, I know that we're going to have to, you know, push the intensity, push volume, do different things to try to, you know, ramp up performance and try to continue people to evolve. But then how do you temper that and say, all right, you know, like there's a risk of injury as we get more intense or as we push this so i always wonder like as a strength coach like how do you balance that especially in a big team i mean i, I would say you probably err on the side of like not hurting people but like kind of the you know what we started doing especially with uh, with power athlete is putting in like a ton of diagnostics you know like warm-ups different things that we could see to assess whether or not people were ready to kind of progress because I, I found early if you throw people in the deep end they're just going to sink and uh, I've, <laughs> I made the mistake in that er- early when I started working uh, with the CrossFit football stuff. I mean, things that I would do I think were no problem and I would throw out there and then people would just i get these emails from people that were like, dude, I'm destroyed. I hurt myself. That's how I realized that uh, heavy uh, extension inflection mis- mixed with uh, dynamic flexion hurt people like heavy deadlifts and toes to bars. You know, things like that where I was like, what do you mean? You guys can't deadlift 405 for 20 reps and then do 100 toes to bar and, like, you know, these things that I could do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it would just shatter people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I always had this philosophy where, like, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do and then i realized that that was fucking a horrible yeah that you're a crazy person yeah and like and you know like so like that becomes like you know the uh the kind of the temperance and i I just wonder at the nsca like how you guys balance this idea of performance with um you know just safety because i think that becomes the more difficult part
4: yeah i mean i think there's you know there's general standards and there's principles like i mean like you guys talk about in your methodology it's like we have principle-based training and so we have basic understanding of principles but i think a lot like you we kind of do it on our own we have you know whether it's our own visual movement screens or whatever we implement in the training that we do i've done the same thing though had workouts that i thought that I had done that would be okay. And you put an athlete through it and then they're like, dude, I I couldn't sit down for the rest of the week. And then you're like, Oh shit, I probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, (laughs) Um, I mean, there's no, there's not like an NSCA, you know, standard definition of that. But I think again, that's kind of what, um, being at the headquarters and being more on the application of training side, um, we get to implement and play around with stuff and we try try phasic training and we try, you know, all these other different methodologies that we want to try out and see how they work.
2: Yeah, so you got something to text or? Yeah, I
3: was, I think this is a good opportunity. So I've been uh, CSS 2012 and then been fortunate opportunity to come up to HQ Scott a couple times and train. A beautiful facility, uh, only rivaled by the one you see behind you, Scott. <laughs> uh, we're just missing that, that turf field outside. So, John, a little hustle. Um, yeah. But so, what are some of it. the myths and the misconceptions that uh, NSCA headquarters has? Because I mean, I, I get the journal, uh, I've been to the conference, but then it would, didn't equal the experience of just coming in and hanging out.
4: I think that's a great question because uh, I think that a lot of people assume the NSCA journal is like written by a bunch of guys that came out of our weight room wearing lab coats and they went into their offices here at headquarters, which is, can't be farther from the truth. So, I mean, uh, you know, there's one person in headquarters here that works with the journals. He's our publications director. Um, there's no researchers on staff here at NSCA headquarters. Uh, that's the coolest thing about my job is that we have a facility, um, I have two full-time coaches who are my coaching staff, three, full, three interns, again, like I said, all semester long. Um, and then we have two other kind of head coaches who represent our TSAC, the tactical population, and our personal training. And so out of those, uh, six or eight people we coach the athletes who we train here and it's very much like I said it's the application that we're doing here there's there's zero research going on by anyone at NSCA headquarters Um, so I think that's the biggest myth or misconception even sometimes on social media we'll have a post go up and someone will be like well didn't the biomechanists at NSCA you know say this or that and it's like No, it's just us, man. We're coaches, like, uh, you know, and that was another thing I think, you know, Tex, you and I had talked about, too, was um, my position here has evolved a lot, too, Um, So doing all this big picture stuff, whether it has to do with membership or certification or education, um, but really being someone that strength and conditioning coaches, whether it be from youth to professional, uh, know that they can that they can have a person that they go, oh well, no, I know Scott is a head strength coach here, Um, and that's kind of evolved. Like we've had. The facility was built in 2004, um, and we've always had someone who directed the facility, but my position has evolved into, I think, a much more um, kind of out in front, like being a liaison, honestly, to coaches, because the NSCA did for a while get away from, uh, you know, serving the strength coaches. It was founded by strength coaches. It experienced a lot of growth. Early 2000s was when the collegiate strength coaches, you know, founded their organization with the assistance of Boyd Upley, who founded the NSCA because he felt that the NSCA wasn't serving strength coaches anymore. And so uh, when Boyd came back to work at NSCA, uh, I don't know when that was before me, late 2000s. His mission was to really kind of reestablish, you know, a connection with our strength coaches. And he was him and John Jost, who was a former board member, were huge in my first couple of years about, no, hey, listen, you need to get out there. You need to be the guy to connect with people. You're a strength coach. You're in the weight room every day. Um, You need to represent us and we need to let people know that you're here. So, I mean, that's honestly, I think, the coolest thing about my job too.
1: Little known story, uh, when I took my trip to Nebraska, I met with Boyd Epley who was sitting in his office and he had cameras and could turn on and like look at all the different stations and he was coaching over the microphone from his office <laughs> looking at cameras at all the different stations. It was pretty awesome. He also had this like playing met- like like this metric deal where you like enter all your numbers in and it gave you a number and based on that number they knew that you were ready to play. Whoa. I always thought that was super fascinating. So it was that- like forty time, it was bench, mm-hmm. it was like all these different numbers that went into this like matrix that he like typed in and it gave you a number. So what know. year was that, John? Like, uh, 1994.
2: So that's 94, and here we are in 27, are we in 2017? All right, yeah, clearly I know where we're at. But um, 23 years later. You know, Scott, you talked about you're, you're testing some methodologies and things over at, at your facilities over there, but you know, we're in an age where almost every industry is becoming tech-enabled. Right. We're leveraging new technologies, whether it's software, hardware, um, you know, the proverbial matrix or whatever. Um, is that also something you guys tinker with over there? Like, do you get new hardware that comes in, you know, whether it's a velocity based thing or I don't know, you know, the the jump pads or, you know, what, what else do we see at the frickin uh, UT? The, uh, oh, no, that movement screen. Like, yeah, do, do you, do they, you get access to lasers. some of this stuff?
1: They had like what, what was it like the
3: laser cameras Remember for their uh, deal? What like else do they what have? They what have? they use for video, they, like the NBA 2K video game they had for bioanalysis.
4: Yeah. 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 I, Yeah. I mean, Boyd's been on top of that stuff, man, since, like you said, back in the day. And he's still, with their performance lab, trying to be cutting edge with that. Honestly, uh, we do get a lot of offers for that. And we'll test some stuff out. But honestly, we get. I get overwhelmed with a lot of those. And I'm just not like... I'm not into a lot of that technology. Like, I, I know that I would use it when I need to use it, and where we can use it, we have tender units. We had, we had a Elite Form for a while, um, heart rate stuff that we'll use, but, like, I'm not going to bring it in our facility just for it to sit on the wall and, like, and collect dust. I have a closet full of stuff from before I started that I'm still like, what the hell is in this box? Like, and you know, that we have just accumulated because it's like, we are such a practical hands-on, honestly learning. It's a learning lab for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term to throw our interns into the fire and let them coach, um, And I don't want to overwhelm them with technology. You know, if they want to learn about how to use Catapult and a lot of other like high tech stuff, then they probably need to go on from here and and get an internship at Baylor or UT or somewhere like that um, where they can use that kind of technology here. They're going to, like I said, we keep it simple. They're going to get the basics. They're going to learn how to be a coach and write basic programs first.
2: Yeah, and that's like, I mean, that's waypoint number one on the proverbial life cycle, right? And and I feel like when you're younger generation, tech-enabled generation, there's access to this stuff with quick learning curves for for a lot of these kids. You're probably like, a, you know, just a sheepdog out there wrangling these guys who are going off in these weird tangents and weird directions trying to uh, just get get cute with a lot of this stuff and you're like no 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 bring it back in to the core like let's understand this get some reps in here and then uh once you understand these basic principles then maybe you can make the connections and draw the connections between a dari system i had to look it up you know this dari system which have you heard of this thing scott
4: i've heard of it yeah yeah
2: Yeah, it's like they strap do they strap things on you or you just stand in front of the camera like a strap on what's that? no (laughs)
1: well i mean is that like a weight belt is that what you said like is it like a strap on or is it are they strap you on I'll strap you off. Oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but you stand in front of this camera. <sighs> Look
1: at text. Did you see the disapproving? Just.
2: <sighs> yeah, I don't care. I get this that. lowbrow humor. I'm sorry. Seven to ten times per morning session. I get that. I'm fine with it. But it's a camera that you stand in front of and they have you f- like movement screen and it records and measures your movement and like spits out a score. And uh, it's like a ten minute routine you do in front of a green screen and this thing. Yeah, that's the one we saw at UT. Mm-hmm. So. Um,
4: yeah, I think if I, if we had like a, a enough uh, high level athletes where we could utilize technology more, and then if I had, you know, staff that I would be able to devote to that, I think you know the other part of coaching here is that we do so much other stuff for the NSCA, whether it's um, you know our assistantship program, internship program, the registered strength coach program different conferences and events you know if we were just coaching that would be where you know i would hire one of these tech savvy young up-and-coming strength coaches to be my tech person and be like all right i know the things that i'm good at and this is one that i'm not that great at and i don't want to be great at so that's going to be your job
2: and i'm just thinking like uh future proofing the learning the learning environment you know and i i don't know i don't I don't know if the majority of coaches are going to have access to this technology because it's pretty fucking niche.
3: Yeah. And uh, so we almost speak to the minimalist, the high school coach, worst-case scenario coaches, and then teach them the basics, the move, but then technology can be applied on top of that. Well, I, but, I mean, people are constantly looking for a tech
1: solution. I mean, this is where we get into the, uh, the Dave Ashby. <laughs> like the biohacking like and uh i like w- what we found over the years with all these different biohacks and this and this at the end of the day there's no um, there's no way to, to circumvent hard work or, or effort or just like progression. I mean, the tried and true things, like I, I can't figure out a way to, you know, that's better for a beginner than a basic linear progression. Just add some more weight to the bar, you know, as, as the movement starts to break down and when it, you know, when you fail, then we'll take a few steps back and we'll continue to drive in that direction. And it's like, uh, you know, I mean, you can go back and look at the story of Milo's bull. I mean, that's, you know, the same basic linear progression. Like these are tried and true principles that have existed in strength, you know, within training for a lifetime and um i sometimes wonder if you throw too much with the technology it creates paralysis yeah like uh, it's kind
2: of like, like honestly john it, as i'm listening and thinking about it it's it's supplements technology, all these technology uh, solutions are supplements in relation to nutrition where people are like, well, what supplement stack could I take to, you know, get abs? And you're like, "Ah."
1: so if I don't want to eat, you know, if I don't have money, enough money to eat, uh, you know, maybe a a high quality animal based protein, can I just take a whole bunch of supplements? And you're like, But in the end of the day, like the supplements would be more expensive than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just want to buy the supplements. Like, it's like, okay. But like uh, sometimes the paralysis, like uh, for example, um, I got tagged on something on Instagram where this guy wanted, you know, he was uh, trying to do some velocity-based training with his Olympic lifting. And he's like, uh, which is kind of ironic because I think sometimes with like the Olympic lifts in terms of velocity-based training did you get the lift or not? It's like, you can't jump on a box slow. So like, did you complete the lift? Yes or no? Like, okay, great. Is, uh, like that's a yes or a no. And then if you want to use some velocity based stuff, but he was like, he was like showing like one, I think it was a snatch and he's like, Oh, it feels slow, but he got every lift. And I'm like, well, like, what do you want to know? Like, are you are are, are 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 you trying to figure out a velocity base for like a training percentage? Like, like what are you hoping to glean out of it? It's kind of like uh you know somebody asked me about the velocity base training for jumping, and I was like, okay, like jumping up on a box. Well, how how fast am I jumping on the box? I'm like, what well, did you get on the box?
2: Like, it, it's uh, not that literally. Just jump as high as you can.
1: Well, it and it's kind of like a, like a power clean, for example. You know, I mean, you know, did you pull the bar high enough? Did you finish? Did you get as tall as you can? Like, did you did you make the lift? And at the End of the day if you didn't make the lift then we can look at more problems but trying to like extrapolate information out of a out of a non-failed attempt is kind of like doesn't make a ton of sense so i think people are constantly looking for more information and they're trying to dive in and dive in and dive in and at the end of the day it's like uh, like I, it, it's kind of interesting like the the training was basic and then it got complex And now as we've looked at all this like complex, uh, like this massive amount of complexity, it's almost we're taking this step back and just trying to get it more and more basic Mm -hmm. because the problem becomes is if people can't handle the basics, then then how can we progress the conversation?
2: Yeah, You got to earn the complexity, I guess, because, you you know, Scott, you talked about like keep it simple and you couldn't. You couldn't be in a closer wheelhouse to us. Like we intentionally at a lot of our seminars teach the floor press in the event you don't have benches. Like okay, we can still well, press. Well, we right? started
1: teaching that because we were teaching at CrossFit gyms that didn't have benches because the bench press has been askewed because um, people do it at global gyms. So I would yes. walk in and I was trying to teach it like like your horizontal push. Is probably your best assist. Like if you want to get a big press, like close grip, like it's you know like in, and and you, you have to train those different planes. So we had a way to like teach this. And after like the seventh place of what I went into that didn't have benches, I'm like, fuck it, let's just teach a floor press. And then people lost their minds on the floor press, like oh well, you know. But it's a partial movement in this, and you're like, dude, like.
2: But I guess what I was getting at because you have a guy like Caldees, who uh, in his own right, I mean, I wouldn't call his approach simple but it's well thought out it's organized and he's taken it Whoa. over 20 years to create
1: this thing well like his triphasic is very basic i mean that's why i was busting his balls about being the father of eccentrics i mean we've been doing heavy eccentric uh you know movements at the end of workouts forever i mean we would work up on our like heavy bench and then we would handle like 105 percent for like a slow negative type of deal i mean he's mixing in like a you know isometric hold with uh with heavy eccentrics but the thing that people are forgetting is those are technically proficient athletes like the last thing you you want to do is load somebody up with 105% of their 1RM back squat and then ask them to slowly sit down into the single most dangerous position and then hope to God you have spotters that can fucking take it off of them. So like, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it remodels tissues, it does all these things, but your ability to execute it both intelligently, safely with good technique is predicated on like how experienced you are. So you take something like triphasic and like if, you know, and even though there's some incredible principles that would do here, you look and say, okay, risk versus reward. If I ask somebody who trains by themselves in, in a garage gym at six in the morning after they work out to take a heavy, you know, single on their squat and they're, you know, and then yeah, they're,
2: they're 48 years old, started lifting weights at 45,
1: yeah you know but they're going to win the crossfit games and then all of a sudden they get to the bottom and then they ditch the bar go forward and headbutt and you know put their head through their wife's laundry machine and hurt themselves then instantly the efficacy of the program is shit because they fucking hurt themselves with the laundry, with the laundry machine like and you're like okay well like Maybe there's not, you know, like uh, just like I always like when uh, people do heavy walkouts, you know, like um, towards, you know, at certain points in the year with uh, with some heavy cycles, like we'll have people do, you know, some overload with heavy walkouts, which is basically can you maintain posture and position with heavy load in your back and just, you know, 10 seconds of being able to do that. And the amazing part is like people are like, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't been so, this is always how was funny. They were like, I haven't, I've never been so sore as I was from the heavy walkouts. And I'm like wow, so you're sore from a isometric hold? Mm-hmm. Like that one always kind of, always thought like eccentric loads were where, you know, were more damaging and that's where more like the tissue damage comes where you would, you know, deem it as being, you know, yeah. like yeah. a sore, but being sore from just a
3: basic isometric hold, but like blew my mind. It's almost a remodeling itself because they can't hold that position unless they're in a, a stacked neutral quality force reduction position. So it's almost forcing them into a good position safely Well, you
1: have to because uh, you know. I mean, how many times have you watched somebody go put a bar, a bar on their back, and you're thinking to yourself, "Holy shit, this looks awful." And then they squat it. They go eccentric concentric, or eccentric concentric, and you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, they fucking got that rep." I didn't even think they'd be able to take that out of the rack, and uh, like that happens often. And I, I, you know, like a big thing, you know, we, you know, for me, my entire life, it's always been this like. When you you know when you take the bar out of the rack whether it be a bench or a squat or whatever it is like can you stand nice and erect with great posture and position before you uh you know descend into the lift the idea that if you can't start in a good position there's no way for you to get into a good position once you start moving which i saw in football other than willie rofe so mm-hmm. uh it just yeah i mean that that part just blows my mind but um like there's some like like the training can get so jiggy and it can get so advanced and there's so many cool things that you can add in. The only problem is, is it's like a stacking deal. Like we yeah. can't add this stuff until you develop this. And we're still at this initial conversation, like like we're still teaching people how to do basic movements. Yeah. Like have you mastered X, Y, and Z? Okay, if you haven't mastered that, then how am I supposed to ask you to do use compensatory acceleration if you don't even know how to how to
3: necessarily squat in an efficient position? So Scott, you, you go to a lot of conferences in and outside the NSCA how often do you see kind of the fundamental presentations so we get a lot of presentation that are you know fringe and out there but do you see a lot of the fundamentals the basics and then how filled is that room
4: yeah i mean i think we try and keep we try and make a balance you know with the bit with the coaches event because we do have new brand new coaches coming out as well as the the cal of the world and you know you guys who are attending who have a this understanding so we have to almost we have to try and appeal to everyone so we try and get some of that basic stuff but it's it's funny you know i think some of the most important sessions do get uh overlooked you know or or they might be like oh well that's a high school coaching session you know i'm not going to go to that but like i mean tell you coach middle school athletes right for um, you know groups of 30 middle school kids you become a better coach. Um, and so I think a lot of the times, some of those important ones are probably getting overlooked. Um, the other one that made me when John was talking to that, I thought about because I know you guys had Andy on the galpin on the show. Um, you know, and you heard the, the, uh, you know, analogy about the pendulum swinging too far one way, which it seems to be maybe with technology right now, but Andy had said on our show, uh, you know, he thought coaches were going to be in more need, right? Because you're getting all these apps and all these different techniques or tools that people have access to. But now we're actually going to realize, oh, shit, I actually need a coach more than ever now to help me realize what my form looks like. And I love what you guys say about posture and position, because I mean, it, it just goes back to like, this whole you know you can't have that triangle with a inverted base you have to have a solid foundation so but yeah I mean I think for us honestly uh we really try and keep it at the our big conferences we try and balance it out as much as possible to get all those different levels but um like you said I mean as you learn more about this thing and you feel like you don't know as much I I for me I'm like some of the more basic ones I, I have to go back to and get more out of than some of the high level ones that I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, cause I don't know if I would do that. Like, I don't know if I care about that. You know,
3: you mentioned your, uh, your podcast. So NSCA coaching podcast, um, and you had Galpin on. So one of the most kind of, I guess, enlightening experiences is running this power athlete podcast, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning.
2: In, in, in.
3: So in, uh, T- talk to us about some of the guests you bring on and then have there any been any knowledge bombs that you just walked away with, like shook, almost speechless. You didn't know what to say afterwards. Cause we have a, we have three people here and and your show is just you interviewing. So you got to be on point.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, ours, ours is, I think on episode, uh,
2: Fourteen or fifteen maybe, so teenager. I remember those days back when we were we were awful. Oh God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was like do you remember we did everything live? Remember that?
2: Yeah. And hey, you know, there's if you're a listener here who listened to the first two hundred episodes, we're sorry. what Tex, why you give me that disapproving look on that first 232 episodes yeah this is 233 guys oh yeah you're in now, <laughs> now we've got it figured out let me tell you listeners we got a new microphone stand here i'm feeling pretty good about it we got john a pop filter for that new mic over there we're pretty Scott. i mean we're about to figure it out. Well, uh,
1: Luke kind of goes with the idea of, like, whatever he can find in the trash or on Craigslist is kind of what we use for our podcast. But, uh, you know, hopefully... It's true. It really is. Uh, like, hopefully here in the next few weeks we will have our uh, dedicated podcast room up, which will be epic, and then we won't have to, like, constantly be playing this, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like... like like, like uh, What's the game? Like, Doctor or uh, Emergency, where you're, like, constantly, like, like plugging things in and being mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't yeah, know if you know, this is going to work.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, yeah, I only do ours in person, which is a little bit different, I think, um, than some people. Um, I know that a lot of the ones that I did uh, with other people, uh, a few of them that I was like, man, I thought that was a really good. Podcast and why was it great and it was the ones that I did in person that that we were just having a conversation. Um, So I was like, you know what, I want to try and just do them all in person with them with the amount of events that I end up going to throughout the year. It's really not a big, uh, it's not that hard to do it all in person. So that was one kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, uh, some of the people that we've had on, a lot of the people that you guys have already had on too, uh, had Cal, Brian Mann, um, a couple of the things that, I think are different. I don't talk about training very much in ours. It's more of like an art of coaching. Like I said, coaching philosophy, career podcast, than it is um, methods. And, And I feel like if people are coming to the NSCA for like, Training advice and methods, they, they get all that in our journals and the, and the books and stuff and other people's podcasts. So I was like, well, how can we be a little bit different? Could talk about careers, could talk about what makes you tick, um, you know, and a lot of you guys already get into all those things, but that was where I tried to just be a little sp- more specific. Um, I know actually. When uh you know, you had kind of alluded to this question though, and I was thinking back about it, but I know that you guys would like this one because um Jay DeMeo from Richmond had one of his um things that he brought up was he talked about time to stop, you know, bickering and fighting about exercise and this and that and talk about principles and results Mm -hmm. and performance, you know. And I was just like, that's the kind of stuff that people need to hear. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care. You know, what, yeah, if you want to do burpees over the bar in whatever, wherever you put it, go for it, right? But like, you guys have a whole section of principles. We talk about principles in the essentials text. I mean, that's where it needs to be at. We need to stop worrying about bashing on people. Um, Cal had mentioned it too. When he was on, he talked about how a lot of coaches will... Um, bash on other staffs maybe where they take over a position right or maybe you get an athlete that came from another coach and like a lot of coaches first move is to kind of trash that coach that they had like oh this guy can't squat like we need to get away from that and be more professional overall
2: yeah because if you have an outcome focus right uh you're not contributing to the desired outcome You know at whatever level you're looking at whether it's training response or just wins and losses right who gives a shit what the other guy did like time to move forward yeah Scott do you we talk
3: about principles of training Uh, have you Do you think there's any principles of coaching kind of necessary fundamental things like communication or anything like that
4: absolutely yeah I think there's a lot of principles of coaching um communication, empathy, you know, learning, uh,
2: John, like that one. <laughs> John, 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 you don't have any of these. No, um, no I,
1: none. Uh, the, well, you uh, well, have
2: communication. It's one yeah, way. No, I'm one directional. Communication. I am very
1: I'm actually a good communicator. I'm, I'm a people Are person. Are you telling Not me a that? People
2: person. <laughs> I'm a
1: people person. What would you say you do around here? No, uh, uh, empathy. Uh you you know I I used to believe that uh I was born, you know, my my mutant powers, I was born without empathy, you know. But I I will say having children <laughs> you almost have to develop it a little bit where you're like uh, like constantly I'll see like my kids hurt themselves or they fall down and you're like Okay, get up. You're fine, you know. And it's like you like. Oh, this and that's hurts. your empathy, right? Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And uh, I like because what happens is, and you guys, you'll see this when you have kids that like fall down, and then they look around and they see yeah. who's watching, and like,
2: oh, and I'm like, oh, you're good. Just yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, with Cash, when he falls in here and like you know goes dome first into, a, he's fine. Like a saw blade, we're just, like, yay, Cash, good one. He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah my uh, my little boy's uh, he's 18 months,
1: and uh, all he wants to do is ram his head in things and try to knock them over. Yeah, full speed. Yeah, just 100. <laughs>
3: percent. He's tackling Luke and I when he comes in. Yeah, no, and sees well, us. yeah,
1: he sees them and he'll. And these guys are funny because they like, uh, like, act like they got blown up and like fall down. And it's pretty funny. He loves it. So like the other day, he tried to tackle me and I didn't go down, and he was like so confused. He was like, he like looked at me and I was like, oh, okay, sorry. And then I fell down. And he was okay with it. But uh, no, it's uh, it, it it's pretty interesting to like you know to have kids and to see the kind of the training. I, I think if anybody really wanted to be a good strength coach, like have some kids it'll teach you a lot about like uh trying to convince people that don't want to be convinced of things that's another big one mm-hmm. like dig your heels in like no it's, uh, it's interesting so but uh the female athlete one is by far the one that's most uh i've read a, a couple different books about like the difference between because I, I grew up with all brothers and you know i mean i didn't you know all my the sports i played with were not co-ed so uh, having two girls and and trying to coach female athletes like that is a, a whole different level. And certain people do a great job at it. Me, I don't know. I have to go. I, on I that. can
2: see uh, actually. You know, there's six. six yeah, they're six seven. years old. So let's say they're seven, eight. When they're nine years old, they join. You know, their their girls soccer team. They're like one or two years in, and you know the coach the coach at the time just can't handle it anymore, and one of the dads has to step up. I think it's gonna be John, and John's gonna get out there. He's just going to be the, one of the most pivotal coaches in these young athletes' uh, lives. And they'll always remember Coach Wellborn. I, uh, well, I'm going to gift him with a visor.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I was kind of thinking about this. Uh, one, um, I don't really, you know, like the, I'm really a terrible historian of sports in terms of that way. So I'd be like, okay, here's the deal. I just want you guys to go out and have fun. And they'd be like, really? I'd be like, yeah, I don't really care if you win or lose. I just want you to go out, and enjoy yourself, and have fun. And um, I like, I, but
2: if you lose, there's no
1: pizza after yeah, the game. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not my mom. But uh, so, so my nephew's a pretty good baseball player. Uh, Luke, uh, my nephew Luke's a really good baseball player. And so he was at, he and his buddies were kind of asking me about it. They were like, you know, so like when you played, and I, I tried to explain it to him, I'm like, honestly, the only thing. And my, my brother coaches, and he's a he's a phenomenal coach. He was, you know, probably my, one of my best coaches. Um, he, and he's of the same mind. He's like, dude, just go out and have as much fun as you can like like i want you to go out and just enjoy it like if you walk off the field and you didn't feel like this wasn't like the most fun you'd had, i want you to you know come talk to me and we'll, we'll evaluate it and like parents like you know uh like this i, I forgot like a parent like con- or uh, confronted my brother about it he's like these kids you know it's not about having fun it's about wins and loses or uh, wins and losses and my brother was like no it is about having fun because there's going to be a day where all of a sudden it's not fun and he goes if you want to talk about not fun Go talk to my brother, who played in the NFL for ten years. Like he'll tell you all about what it means to play at a high level, where it's fucking wins and losses are coming out for, like paychecks, and it's not fun. Like allow a bunch of ten-year-old kids, eleven-year-old kids, to have fun playing sports, and like you know. And he's like, because there's there's a day where it's not fun, and this is all they're going to remember. So uh, that like is kind of been always kind of my idea, especially with the girls. Like um, you know, like if they swim or whatnot. Like I always am like, are you having fun? And, and the funny part is they're like, no. I'm like, well, okay, we're going to go back until it's fun. So. <laughs> But, uh, you know, that like I I think what people forget sometimes is that like, especially in the training space, like you're doing this for a reason. You're doing it for personal growth, enjoyment and whatnot. And if it's not fun, then you need to find something different. I mean, we run into that all the time. People are like, well, I've been doing this program. It's
3: not, you know, this. I'm like, well, did you enjoy doing it? Yeah. Well, then what the fuck are you complaining about? You know? Well, uh, just remembered uh, last at last year's symposium. Scott, we had a a little intern who 27 career change. He didn't know what he wanted to do and loved training. So why not? So found Luke, and Luke kind of ran him into the ground a little bit, but... No, he he treated him like an intern. Okay, yeah. But then uh, AA spoke at our symposium and just gave uh, just passionate speak. I'm sure you've heard AA speak before, and uh, it was just all about, you know, strength coach life and everything he learned and perspective. And this kid is sitting there in the front row, see, sees and hears everything, and then... Luke, when did he
2: come to you? The next day? Yeah, it was the next day. Uh, he's like, "That sounds really hard." Um, <laughs> I didn't think it was. That's what being a string coach was like. And I, you know, I tried to reason with the kid. Like, you have to understand, A is. You know, you're talking about a an echelon of string coaches that represent. I mean, what, what is the representation? One yeah. percent?
3: Well, yeah, yeah. Top twenty-five schools. So maybe twenty-five to fifty of his position. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, you know if you you want to be a high school it's a little different at the high school level or even like a, a d3 all-star level like it's you can still be what you want to be but he's just like i think i'm just gonna be like a personal trainer and help people get in shape and i'm like okay you know um well we're not like you know man we're not we still need not you us, to clean the gym but uh, <laughs> can you still go get us some coffees how long do we still have you <laughs> but he was yeah. a great kid and uh you know just just a young guy what was his name richard no, that was our very, very first intern who we well, gave,
1: the, handed off to Chelsea. Well, the best is all of our interns. I, I called them Richard.
2: <laughs> so that Except was our, Fisher. Fisher was memorable. Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, his so, name
2: was Nick. Ab- or uh, Nick. Uh,
1: that's right. Uh, F- Fisher was one of our interns, and uh, I brought him in day one. Like he came in for an interview, and I told him, "Like, well, tell me a funny story. Tell me a joke." Nice. And um, he completely tanked. Oh, terrible. It was awful.
2: Awful. And I was like, let's not hire him. Yeah. And then... You know, said, uh, and, and, and Scott, like, we'll just fill you in. He told a story about, like, farting in college or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was really and awful.
1: And was like, oh, did I fart and, and, we uh, like... and, and then so we were like, let's bring him back. And uh, we got to know him. And he had these, like, amazing stories about his mom. <laughs> like, his mom was like Chuck Norris... And like Dolomite rolled in one Like she was like a high school Principal like I'm pretty sure she was a nar- Like he had these stories where I'd be like what and He's like oh yeah well, my mom toured with the Grateful Dead I'm like what like yeah. he had these just like Like, like, su- like uh, Super fantastic stories About Fisher's mom so yeah. then it became like This thing where it's like man
2: what if we had somebody like Fisher's mom? This thing would yeah. work better. And it was like, Fisher, hey, uh, well, you never have a future here. But your on your mom. next interview, when someone asks you to tell an interesting story, just tell any of your stories that you've told us about your mom. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. You know.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Scott, how do you handle the 90 applicants each and every semester? Do, do you have them tell a joke? Is that the defining deciding That's factor?
4: Pretty, it's pretty funny. We actually have ask a joke tell us a joke as one of our interview questions and that stumps like draw jaw dropping stumps more people we we used to throw it in earlier in the interview and then we realized that we just ruined the interview for these kids most (laughs) of the time at that point so we put it at the end now because most of the time we just have to like be like it's okay it's okay like you know you don't have to give us but that that has been one that we uh <laughs> we've used and uh and another uh one that i stole from a uh, good buddy jim curtsy who's at kennesaw state yeah. Um, yeah. um greatest coaching voice in college football uh so. oh carizzi
1: Oh, Mr. Uh, I just smoked seven packs of cigarettes, and uh, and this is my second day coaching. But I don't, yeah, I don't coach. I <laughs> yeah, don't smoke, I mean, I yeah, don't smoke. <laughs> I, I also thought he was 45 years old. It turned out he was like 18, 20, 22 years old. I'm like, crazy, how old are you? He's like, oh, I'm
4: uh, 26 years old.
1: I'm like, I thought you were like 70, dude.
4: Uh, we had a uh... We had a play uh, seminar, professional development seminar, and he talked about uh, some of the questions he asked in in interviewing. So I did an interviewing skills uh, presentation. But the one we stole from him was, uh, in 60 seconds, tell us all the different things you can do with a paperclip. And that's a fun one, too, just (laughs) to kind of throw them in. But but I tell you what, the best intern story I have uh, of a story that they've told us was, kid named Matt Bergdorf, who was, uh, he works at a private facility in California now. He was a student at Cal State Fullerton. There's a mental facility, uh, you know, mental correctional facility somewhere around there. Someone had escaped from the facility. He was sitting at a stoplight or he was at a parking lot, and this nut job jumped in the car with him. And I think held him at knife pointing. It, was, it wasn't like a gun, but it was serious enough. You know, kind of kidnapped him, basically. So <laughs> his kid drives him around for a while until, uh, you know, he's got to freak it out. And he's like, hey, do uh, you mind if I stop at Seven Eleven to grab something? The guy's like, yeah, sure, no problem. So he pulls up. He stops. And the guy and he says to the guy, hey, do you want anything inside? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind something. He gives him some math pulls out. This kid, who just got kidnapped, pulls out the money and says, well, hey, do you want to go in and grab it? And the guy gets out of the car to go in and <laughs> grab it. And he takes off and calls the cops and, like, is like, this guy just kidnapped me and I just got rid of him. I mean, greatest You'll story, to to I obviously, uh, you know, can't tell it as good as he can. No, that's great. That reminds
2: me, just, you know who has stories like that? Is Dusty Crackers. Dusty Crackers, yeah. I mean, the endless public, we used to call him the local hero, because he'd he'd always find himself, like, tangled up with some police investigation about some criminal, where, oddly enough, he wasn't the, the criminal. And how this guy was always on the other side and the good guy, like, I have no idea. Hey, he's, a, he's a unique individual. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We should, uh, maybe we pulled Dusty on the podcast when he's out here. Maybe, I'm in
3: um so, well callie's got a citizen's arrest so when we're at the gym at working gym in dc some dude just pockets a chapstick and she full scale takes him out tackles him and screams citizens arrest <laughs> and held the guy down until the cops came for chapstick for chapstick and she is now a police officer in seattle wait a minute you can
1: do a citizen's arrest on a chapstick well, like, what's that, like a buck 69? I don't know. Well, I think it was her tackle that sealed the deal on the citizen's arrest. <laughs> you mean the guy was excited just to lay there right t- while Callie was on top of him? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Did he try to fight? Or did, like, Cali get him in, like, a chokehold or something? Well, Callie, we'll have to uh, edit your story in now. Yeah, Hens, how can you tell us his
2: story? And Q, Cali. <laughs> okay, so there I was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, first of all, uh, that is a terrible impression, John. I do not laugh like that. And second of all, it wasn't just chapstick, all right? It was laundry detergent, diapers for his child, and chapstick. So some people may say, Callie, that's pretty fucking cold-hearted. But then other people might use the term hero. I don't know. I just like to think of myself as just a normal person, you know, just like you. Anyway, here's back to the show.
2: I'll tell you Dusty's citizen's arrest story. He was at a bowling alley and uh, saw some some guy, some skinny punk, uh, stole one of their party's cell phones and he saw it. and He goes, Hey, and he just calls him out. Hey, you see, you're stealing cell phone. The guy's like, no, I'm not. And then Dusty, shit, put his drink down and uh <laughs> and gets up and goes over there, and he's got his hands out to his side like he's not going to touch him. He's like, you're under arrest. This is a citizen's arrest. And the guy's like, let me around. And Tevis has one of the most powerful belly bumps. So he's just belly bumping this skinny guy <laughs> off of his feet onto the ground we keep belly not hip thrusting him belly bumping him and like this is all on video one of these girls films this thing and we get this video at like one in the morning he's like yeah just got out of the police station citizens arrest local hero like five <laughs> criminal zero and we're like are you kidding me man yeah local hero belly bumping <sighs>
3: let's put that in the program
2: alright it's on
3: with the belly bump? yeah Oh, Luke and I do have a good idea for a new program. It's called. what do We call it Johnny Bud. No, Buddy Wad. I already hit him up. Uh,
1: yeah, why? Because it's a
2: friends' pot uh, workouts. So John, it's called. Work- need a it's called a business it strategy. It's a business. It's a partner workout. So you automatically get to sell two. <laughs> why? You, you and your buddy need the same program. <laughs> or maybe they just share it and they both look at it. We have honorable customers that would but- <laughs> never consider sharing program or utilizing You're the gonna personal have to- license for commercial reasons. No, no, no. We, we're going to built in like uh, burpee high fives.
3: So if it's stuff you can only do with a partner. Because you can only perform a burpee
2: with a partner. I can tell you're pretty excited about this. Well, Warren, right, right. <laughs> let's, let's get back to it. So, uh, sorry, Scott, we just went down what we would call a rabbit hole. Uh, not even. That's yeah. just a hole.
3: Um, so <laughs> we have the upcoming coaches conference in January. So, yeah. um, speaker list is set. Who, who do we have as keynote this year? We had Adam Nelson last year and we stole him from you and we got him speaking right. at the power athlete symposium in December. Oh, you,
2: I didn't know that.
4: Nice. Yeah. Dartmouth, (laughs) former Dartmouth guy too. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Um yeah, uh, we just actually just locked in the keynote. Uh BJ Surhoff, former MLB player, Olympian when baseball um Mm has been around the block. So he's gonna be the keynote. Um probably the I would call it the kind of honorable keynote or the one that you're not gonna wanna miss is gonna be Joe Ken from the Carolina Panthers. And he's done the session before. It's um, the session that he did. I think it was at national in the past. It was we had it as a career talk. This time he's going to actually kind of warm up the keynote, but it's going to be his "So you want to be a strength coach" um, presentation, <laughs> which is basically him just getting up and laying it down for ninety minutes on you know if you have what it takes. A lot, probably like what you said about AA saying that people are either they're either going to really be pumped and jazzed about it or they're going to be like man maybe I should look into a different career after that so Mm -hmm. I'm excited for that but um, we've got a you know really well-rounded you got Um, a whole entire section of the day devoted to high school, and actually, Cal is speaking as part of that high school track, so he's gonna do a session um, dedicated to if you just are training high school athletes.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Apologies for the abrupt end as we had some technical difficulties with our recording. I promise you didn't miss much, though. Scott was just recapping some of the events that are coming up with the NSCA. You can find out more about their events and Coach Caulfield by heading to www.nsca.com. There you'll find a convenient little calendar listing all upcoming events, including their Coaches Conference January 3rd through 5th. Until next time, bye!